Well, let me say good morning again. So glad to be here with you today. And we started a new series for the, the month of October, the series of October, I almost said. And it's called Nailed It. And this was inspired by a Netflix show where amateur bakers come online and they try and recreate these really complicated cakes with really laughable results. And granted, this is a real stretch on how it ended up as the name for our sermon series, but I'm telling you, it was inspired. If you would have been at that staff meeting, you would have been like, exactly. But the whole idea is we keep our, our children's curriculum and what's happening in our children's ministry and what we're doing on Sunday morning kind of together so that you as families have many discussion points throughout your week. And so the children's curriculum is about individualism and how God has created us in his image um, to look like him, to think like him, to be like him, um, and, and how that um, individuality is lived out in each one of our lives. And so just the whole idea of God saying, nailed it when he made you, when he made me, uh, is so important for us as followers of Christ. And so this week, last week we explored how we were God's greatest creation. Um, this week, we're going to take a look at how knowing Jesus changes how you and I see ourselves. And so we'll turn to an episode from Jesus's life, uh, especially his, his uh, disciple Matthew, that's found in the gospel that Matthew wrote, chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. And this is how Matthew came to be a follower of Jesus. Let me read it for you. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Not hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, as we saw in the, in the children's message or the, the version of that, uh, Jesus was really nice when he said that last part, which, you know, right? We all know that Jesus is nice. I'm not sure it was said so nicely. I think, I think the question had definitely a barb to it. Uh, and I think that Jesus' response was very direct and firm. Uh, and we'll kind of get into that. But, but imagine, here's Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. He's deciding to leave the cozy company of his tax collector friends. And he's uh, instead joining this entourage of a very penniless preacher. The dichotomy and the contrast couldn't be greater. Out of all of Jesus' disciples, I'm not sure any of them would have had a more dramatic change in scenery. So why did Matthew do it? Because knowing Jesus changes how you see where you belong. That's our first point for this morning. The Palestine of Jesus' day was occupied by the Romans. It was split up into several regions that each had their own administration, their own kind of little king over it. And every time you or I, if we were there, if you're traveling through the countryside uh, and you were using the roads, every time you crossed one of those borders, they would hit you up for a toll. Uh, every time you were transporting goods 
goods and services, goods uh, by road, by water, however. Uh, there was customs duties that had to be paid. These are how these regional governments uh, existed or raised money. They also uh, paid the Romans a lot of money. And so you can imagine that in this system, if you had the privilege or the authority to collect those tolls, those customs, the taxes, um, there was a lot of room for abuse. And this is exactly what happened. People were regularly overcharged. The tax collector would keep the, the excess, and they were legally allowed to do that. Um, and, and there was really nothing that the, the general populace could do about it. And so, you know, just like today, nobody likes the IRS, do they? But tax collectors had a special kind of hate directed at them by the general populace of Palestine in that day. And um, if there was, well, there, um, if there was, there was this very patriotic nerve that ran through the Jewish people at this time and always has. And so, you know, it's one thing to feel like you're being exploited and taken advantage of by someone else. It's another thing on top of that when you think they work for, like, the evil empire. You're, 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 you're loyal to the wrong team. And so not only did people hate them because they were exploitive, they hated them because they were in bed with the Romans. And they're just, I mean, criminals and tax collectors, you know, think, think about how you might think of someone uh, uh, who just gets out of jail or whatever. That's how people felt about tax collectors. So how did Matthew sleep at night knowing all this? Well, Matthew slept probably pretty well. He would have lived in upper-class comfort. Sorry to all the rest of you fools who don't get to collect, collect taxes. I mean, this was a great job. And uh, how he viewed himself, we'll never know. But others reviled him as a total sellout to his country and people. So, what about Jesus? Who did Jesus see sitting there at that tax-collecting booth? You know, it's, it's easy to imagine Jesus as this gentle, meek, nice person. But Jesus is pretty savvy. Jesus is pretty astute. And maybe Jesus saw Matthew as a person who was greedy, who was willing to do whatever to better his station in life. But I think Jesus also saw a person made in the image of God, a person who was disconnected from that relationship with his creator, and who was looking for something, anything, that would fill an empty soul. Inviting Matthew to follow him was a huge risk. Keeping the company of a man like Matthew would draw criticism. And Jesus already kind of has a pretty edgy bunch. You know, fishermen have never ranked real high on the social respectability scale. Sorry, Dell. I know. Former, there's a couple former fishermen in here. Um, still, once a fisherman, always a fisherman. Uh, but, but it's always been a rough, rough and tumble crowd. But they're nothing in comparison to a tax collector. By following Jesus, or by inviting Matthew to follow him, he was taking a huge risk. But the feeling was mutual. You know, this was a huge risk for Matthew too. And I don't think that most of us quite understand the choice 
or the, the level of choice that Matthew is facing right here, right now. Um, there was a huge personal cost, like literally associated with following Jesus. In spite of um, the stigma that tax collecting had, it was a very lucrative, a very sought-after post. If you were a fisherman, if you were a farmer, if you were one of these other trades at the time, you could always go back to doing that if this following Jesus thing didn't work out. You think Matthew could go back to tax collecting? No. They're going to find someone else, like at the end of the day, to take his spot because people wanted it. Matthew was walking away from everything at this point in order to follow Jesus. Huge risk for Jesus to have him as part of the entourage, part of his disciples. Huge risk for Matthew to actually do it. But when, when Matthew heard Jesus' invitation, it kind of just simply and beautifully says, he got up and followed him. You know, following Jesus has never been convenient. There's always a cost involved. It always feels a little edgy, a little risky. But over and over and over again, people have weighed that cost, they've calculated the risk, and they made the same choice as Matthew has made. So why would I, why would Matthew do it? Great question. You know, here we sit 2,000 years later, uh, armchair quarterbacking this whole episode, while we live in a very wealthy area of the wealthiest country ever. And we're told by someone that we deserve everything, that our lie, that, that things should just be catered to our needs. And who doesn't like to be comfortable? Who doesn't like um, convenience? But we bring that expectation everywhere. We bring it into our relationship with God. We even expect it of church. Uh, you know, we want our facility to be the best. We want the music to be the best. We want the preaching to be the best. Sorry to lay down there. We want the children's program to be the best because we deserve the best. And I'm just going to keep looking until I find it. Keep, keep on looking. Keep on looking. Keep on looking. Keep on looking. Well, guess what? Jesus don't care. It's like Jesus says to Matthew or to us 2,000 years later, like, you want this? You want, you want me? Make a decision. Come and get it. Shockingly, Jesus once told someone who wanted to follow him. This is right before this whole episode. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20. Hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus says this, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Ouch. Right? That's rude. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Um, notice, though, he didn't say, let me bury my dead father. What this guy is asking is, it's like, 
future. Like, hey, you know, after this might happen in a couple years, and then I'll come and follow you. So he's putting Jesus off. So why would we, why would Matthew ever follow Jesus? Because he's clear, following him isn't for our comfort. It's not at our convenience. And the reason we'd follow him is because whatever it is that we're chasing after, we just never quite get there. Or we get there and it doesn't satisfy. And with Christ, I've discovered in so many areas, either at the moment or in hindsight looking back, Jesus is enough. There is something, Jesus offers something better. Jesus offers something more. That's why Matthew gets up and just follows. He didn't know all the details. He didn't know all the answers. He, didn't, he just he had a hunch. Like, I need to go with him. And so he did it. And for Matthew to leave the company of tax collectors and, and, and join a company of Jesus illustrates that knowing Jesus changes how you see where you belong. And maybe it helps you see or maybe it helps you understand to whom you belong. The second thing this morning is knowing Jesus changes how you see your purpose. In verse 10, it says, While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Well, this is one of those verses that almost gets lost uh, just in the rest of the story, especially because of that phrase, tax collectors and sinners, because the next sentence, you know, the Pharisees point this out. It's like their own special category. You got tax collectors and sinners. And it just sounds so judgmental. But the fact is that Jesus goes from the tax collector's booth to the tax collector's house. Remember, everybody sees tax collectors like common criminals. I mean, this is shocking. How could you do this, Jesus? And um, the average person, this dinner party would have outraged um, almost everybody. And for us to like put ourselves in the story and kind of wrap our brain around it, what's happening here, I'm, I want you to imagine for a moment, okay? We're going to play this game. Pretend, pretend that you are a very prominent Republican in Washington State. Okay. And you decide to host a dinner party, and after you know it's just a, it's just a, it's a part. It's not a political party. It's not. It's just a party, and you you invite a bunch of people. The guests come, and then everybody goes home. And later that night, people start posting on social media, "Hey, great party! I had such a good time. Thanks, whatever." And there, very clearly, in one of the pictures in the background, is you laughing heartily with Governor Jay Inslee. Okay, remember, you're a prominent Republican. How do you think that would go over? What would people say? And if you're like, oh, I, you know, whatever, I'm not a... Imagine yourself as a Democrat with President Trump. Okay, imagine what people, what they would think, how outraged they would be. That's exactly how the Pharisees feel. You're one of us. You're a rabbi. You're on our side. What in the world are you doing with them? That's how they feel. This is why they're, they're mad. They're angry. Um, you know, they, they say, there's so many expectations. Like, 
a Jew at this time, if they just entered the house of a Gentile, they would be ceremonially unclean. They could not go to the temple and worship God. That's how big a deal this is. So, so you're in with the, it's not even just the sinners, it's the tax collectors and the sinners. This is an unthinkable thing that Jesus has done. And yet here he is because Jesus doesn't care. He doesn't care about offending your social, moral, and especially political sensibilities. He just doesn't care. What he does care about, he cares about people. Especially people far from God. And so Jesus is eating dinner with Matthew and his friends. It's a pretty cool moment. I mean, first Jesus invites Matthew, now Matthew returns the favor. I mean, you can see the hospitality happening here. And what happens, uh, the word that we would use to describe what Matthew's done here is missional. What Matthew has done here is missional. He doesn't keep his group of friends separate. He asks the people who love Jesus and are with Jesus to have dinner at his house, and he invites people who aren't in love with Jesus and who aren't in Jesus' entourage to be there at the same moment. There's no gospel presentation. There's no Bible study to attend. It's just dinner. You're supposed to be more surprised than you are. Because we're trained to keep things separate. Oh, I got my work friends, or I got my school friends, I got my church friends, I got my... And never these groups ever mingle. It's just human nature. But what Matthew does here is this amazing snapshot of, of just, this is my life, you're my friends, I'm going to share it together. And there's not ulterior motive here, it's just life on life. People getting to know one another. Do you think the tax collectors and sinners, like, you know, they're intermixing with Jesus and with Jesus' disciples? I mean, this is, this is a beautiful moment. It's not just this cloister of we got the religious people over here and then, well, too bad, we got everybody else over here. This is astounding. And uh, Matthew may have left the business of collecting taxes to follow Christ, but he didn't leave the people he knew, the people he loved behind. And this may be what offends the Pharisees the most. I go on, verse 11. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And they probably would have said it like this. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, the Pharisees are spoiling for a fight. I imagine them emphasizing teacher in the most ironic way that they can, because clearly he is no teacher. It even comes across, it's a little passive aggressive. I don't know if they're at the other end of the table, it could be, but it comes across as passive aggressive, you know, like, why is your teacher? And they're saying it loud enough that Jesus can obviously hear what they're saying. And so his comeback is brilliant. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. This isn't a put down to the tax collectors and sinners. This is a put down to the Pharisees. 
Because he says it, and then he says, go and learn. That little phrase is an axiom in that day that, that, that rabbis, that teachers use with their students. So Jesus is like, fine, you call me a teacher? Go and learn this. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea, prophet Hosea, uh, out, of the, out of that book, 6-6. Six, six. And it's not the only time Jesus links mercy with God's mercy. Remember, we're created in God's image. We're his image bearer. We're to be like God. God is merciful. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, the whole idea of God, God being a merciful God, and that word merciful is, is a catch-all for being generous, for forgiving others, for showing compassion to people who suffer, for uh, helping heal the hurts in other people's lives. That's what it means. Uh, for, when we say God is merciful, it's that. It's generous, forgiving, compassionate, healing. And why this is such a fitting comeback for Jesus to say to the Pharisees um, is that the prophet Hosea was emphasizing personal relationships over and above religious rituals. The Pharisees had created a system that put all of these religious observances over and above the relationships in people's lives. And Jesus is saying, you got it wrong. He's not saying stop sacrificing. He's just saying you have your priorities out of order. Because knowing Jesus changes how you see yourself. It changes how you see others as children of God. And God doesn't want us to reserve all of our religious rituals at the expense of ignoring hurting people around us. There's this huge tendency in us as human beings to think, you know, if I just go to confession, if I just attend church, if I just make that donation, you know, if I just do the rituals, then I don't have to forgive my brother. I don't have to care for the poor. I don't have to be kind to those who have a different opinion than me. There's such a human tendency that if I just go do this task, well, then I can kind of forget about all this fuzzy relational stuff over here. And Jesus is like, no, God, being righteous is as much about this as it is about this, about treating people as God would have us treat them. And that's important. So uh, what I find most challenging about this whole episode in my own life, it's what he says to the Pharisees. You know, he's talking to a bunch of religious leaders, people who claim to know God, who think they know God. And um, he's saying to me, if you think you love God, then you should love others as God loves them and as God loves you. And that's convicting. I mean, I'm glad that we don't have, you know, the little ding score for each unloving thought that, you know, I have, you have, in a week, month, year. There's a lot of them. It's convicting to hear Jesus challenge these religious people that way. You should treat others, you should think of others how God 
loves them, how God loves you. And as you consider this passage, knowing how Jesus changes us invites me to be better. It causes us to examine ourselves. You know, where are we in this story, or who are we? Are we in the self-perceived, oh, I'm in the healthy camp? Or are we humble enough to admit that we're sick? Are, are, are we, um, you know, do we want to stay comfortably seated in the tax collector's booth? No, I'm, I'm good, Jesus. I'm good. Are we willing to, to take a risk to admit that I need a Savior? And the biggest question is, do you hear Jesus' voice inviting you to follow? Because Jesus is more than willing. He's more than willing to mingle with you, me, anyone, no matter who we are, where we're from, what we've done. That's Jesus. And he looks at us and says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Please join me in prayer. Lord, what's amazing is not, you're just, it wasn't just going to a party and potentially looking bad to these people who looked down at you. You were actually willing to die for the people at that party, for the people who looked down. You were willing to die for me so that all of us could taste a new life with the God who created us. We are so grateful. Lord, help us. Help us to change the way that we see ourselves in the light that you see us. Help us to... Um, know where we belong, to whom we belong. Help us to see others, Lord, the way that you see them, as children of God made in the same image that we are. Help us, Lord, to, to change how we see our purpose, our mission, our vocation in this life. Help us to follow you, Lord, to have that courage. And just in the week, the day, tomorrow, the next day, whenever, Lord, is as we're making our way, minding our own business through life, we have those thoughts about others. Help us to remember how, how much you love all people, how much you love me. And I just pray that even if it's just the way that we treat one person better at the grocery store or even in our own house, I pray that it would make a difference, Lord, that they would sense that reflection of of God in us, of you with them. We pray for this in your powerful name. So remember, you follow the way maker, the miracle worker, the God who's created us, Jesus who invites us to follow. Do that this week. God bless you. See you next Sunday.